Welcome to... Hey! Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. If it's a Monday, you know what we're talking about on this show. Another ATP Challenger-centric episode from Crack Rackets contributors Damian Kust and Yaka Babro. On today's show, the guys discuss a week that featured a stunning title run, a favorite, very much looking the part, and so much more. Of course, they also discuss the difficulties of determining a challenger player's injury status. They talk about the scheduling dilemmas coming up for Thomas Barrios Vera and so much more. It is another fantastic edition of the podcast that we know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, it is going to be a jam packed week of content here at Crack Rackets. Of course, we're going to try and keep up with everything happening at the professional level. That means ATP, WTA, Challengers, ITS. We'll cover it all like we try to do each and every week on our mini break podcast feed. But of course, the NCAA tournament Sweet 16 coming up this weekend as such as what in what has become, excuse me, a Crack Rackets tradition over the past two years. We're going to attempt to interview every remaining coach in the NCAA tournament draw. That means six 16 men's head coaches, 16 women's head coaches, so much content for all of you Cracked fans to enjoy as we all get ready for the home stretch of the 2022 college tennis season. But again, busy week of content here at Crack Rackets, hoping to have podcasts each and every day, at least one, maybe multiple pods on both this feed, the mini break podcast feed and Cracked Interviews podcast feed. So be on the lookout for all of that content wherever you listen to your podcasts or on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, a massive shout out to our friends at Turna for their support of this Great Shot podcast feed. Their support allows us to do things like take a deep dive into the Challenger Tour each and every Monday, like cover the college tennis world every Tuesday and Thursday like we do in our episodes of The Deciding Point. And of course, Turna has been supporting tennis players for a generation now, whether it be their grips, whether it be their string, all the other equipment they provide to the tennis world. Uh, Simply put, we would not be where we are today without the investment, without the efforts made by our friends at Turna. And everyone listening to this podcast knows someone that uses a Turna grip. You can become that someone today by emailing them and contacting how you can uh, them about joining the Turna team today by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. Of course, if you mentioned we sent you here at Cracked Rackets, they'll hook you up with discounted pricing. They'll hook you up with free samples. And more importantly, you'll let them know that we sent you there. So again, to those of you looking to join the Turner team today, whether you be a college coach, college player, or just a local player trying to better your equipment, email Turner today by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. With all of that said, let's get to it. Another ATP Challenger-centric edition of the podcast from Crack Rackets contributors Damian Kust and Jakob Barbaro. Hey, Crack fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays 
stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you'll get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the Mega Tack, the tackiest grip on the market. Contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at Turner Tennis today. Hello, uh, welcome to the next episode of the Challenges Podcast. I'm here once again, joined by my friend Jakub, uh, and we're going to discuss the four events that happened with you and also preview the five that we have next week. Round Garros Qualies is coming, so this is like the f- last full week before that because it's obviously during the, the first week of the uh, of the French Open and during the Qualies week, there's going to be slightly less Challenger events, but this one is still really, really full. So expect a long episode again. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I, I, we of course do content on uh, slam qualifying and stuff. So yes, we'll, we'll bring that back as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, let's let's start with with Mauthausen, um, the one of the two biggest tournaments this week, uh, where we had sort of a surprise winner, I think, Yuri Rodionov, beating Yuzhilech kind of the final six four six four. It's his fifth challenger title. Second of the year, he's number six in the challenger race. Uh, moved up 27 spots to number 130, has he's ever been on the route to that final. He beat Latsko, Galan, Balaj, and Valkus. Uh, yeah, a bit of a surprise to see Rodinov popping up like this on clay, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I really thought I was getting a point here in our <laughs> predictions competition. Right now, we, we still don't even know if we're tied at 5-5 or 6-6 because the Aix-en-Provence yeah. final is on Monday and we're recording most of the show on uh, on Sunday evening. Uh, but uh, yeah, but anyhow, we're going to be tied because Lehechka didn't pan out for me. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I didn't think of Rodionov as a good clay court player, which is kind of weird because if you look at if you look at his like 2018, 2017 records, he actually had a lot of clay matches and a good success rate in them. It's just that lately it's been awful. I I'm, I'm not sure what exactly was the reason for this, but here he didn't even lose a set. Obviously, the the impressive wins being against Galan. And against Lehechka, perhaps as well against Mate Valkus, which we which we might yeah, talk about. Really in, yeah. yeah, and and the one against Lehechka, I think it's mostly on uh, how uh, inconsistent Lehechka has been. Like he can really go from a fun, phenomenal performance where you're just gonna scream top twenty, top ten talent to something where he just I don't know if it's like lack of concentration or what, but 
today he was setting up points beautifully sometimes and then just you know that finishing volley that finishing stroke that you need to make to win the points that's off and uh, even even if it's just you know just a put away and and the, you know, obviously credit to Rodionov because when he when he actually got the chance to dominate he moved him well with that lefty forehand and it was it was definitely a great performance as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not particularly concerned about Lehich closing this match. It's something that I think comes with a bit more you know uh, maturity in in this yeah. game and uh, you know learning to do the. The easy things well every single time and having that consistency but it's clear that he's a very talented player um as as for him this result moves uh, into the top 80 for the first time uh so you know further solidifies his position as, as a main tour player it's his fifth challenger final uh his road included wins over skatov misolic albot and uh denis novak yeah how did you like Lechka's uh, week here yeah, nothing amazing. I think the match against Skatov was a bit of a mess. But then after he had these three straight setters, I, I really thought he was going to win this. So I guess a bit underwhelming, but I, I fully agree with what you said. I think Lehechka has a lot of these signs that uh, the, the thing he needs right now is like experience and really uh, maturity, uh, knowing, uh, always knowing like what to do on the court. Uh, shot selection, like these these things that really can come with experience. So again, yeah, I fully agree that I'm not worried about it at all or something. You know. Yeah, somebody that I'm that I'm also excited about was uh, Mate Valkus making the semifinals here as a qualifier. His road, including wins over Poliak and Klein. Klein, such, such a tough draw to to get in a final qualifying round is is, is Valkus. It's it's an unfortunate for him. Then the retirement from Jumhur. Uh, wins over Collage and then a quarterfinal win over John Millman, which was an interesting one, having him here after such a long time, especially on clay. Um, but yeah, overall, a, a very good run for, for Valkos here, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's 19 free on clay this year, which is pretty crazy. Uh, three deep challenger runs, all from the qualifying. I remember we we talked about him like last year when when Pirosh emerged, and I remember saying that like both of them should be challenger players at some point, and it's it's pretty clear that Valkus is already at this level. Uh, maybe just on clay so far, because in Pirosh's case he he's actually probably just as good indoors as on clay, but but Valkus has so far shown potential just uh, on clay. But, that's fine. I mean, in in challengers, you can clay, you can play, you can play on clay pretty much all year. So, absolutely, and, and, and you know, like, even ranking wise, he's in a much better position now. Uh, at number two sixty four, he's moved up almost fifty spots uh, this week. He's in that sort of area around uh, Foretek and and who's here, Marchenko, uh, Katsperzuk is not that far away actually ranking yeah. wise. Um, so, so so that should help him get into a lot more a lot more events regularly. Uh, the other semifinalist was Denis Novak, who is having this year where I, I, I so really feel, feel like I see him play well, but he's just having he's having results. Um, so I feel like we sort of have to talk about him. Uh, his third semifinal of 2022 already. Uh, the previous being in in Kimper and uh, Murcia. This one just weird run. Uh, beats Masur, gets a retirement from uh, Meltzer, third set tiebreak against Midler in the in the quarterfinals. Uh, yeah, what what do you make of Denis Novak this year so far? 
Yeah, I, I echo that sentiment. I also don't really know what to expect from him. I don't feel like I've seen him really do well, play well, but still he has some results. Uh, but th- th- this has always been the case with Denis Novak, though, right? I mean... Yeah, I, I, I feel like before it was more he had these like like moments where he would play really, really well and he wouldn't mm-hmm. have them consistently, whereas I feel like he's not he's not really played that well this year. He's sort of locking into results a little bit. Which I think ranking wise sets him up well for when he does play well. That that also sort of you know adds up. Maybe he puts together a push for the top one hundred or something. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm sort of puzzled by by Dedi's Dovak this year. Yeah, it's good he got that top one hundred debut out of the way like two years ago yeah. because I'm I'm not sure he's ever getting back there. Although he obviously has the potential to do that. And by the way, this reminded me of a of a nice storyline. Uh, with his title, Rodionov is now the new Austrian number one. I ah. did not like really look into it that much, but I imagine this has to be uh, for the first time because team has just dropped out, uh, dropped some points from last year. I can't remember Madrid or Rome where he did better. And uh, obviously since Rodionov emerged on the scene, team was already like a top 10 player. So, uh, so it has to be for the first time, I think. Yeah, that's that's definitely huge for for Rodionov at, at 22 to sort of you know he, he has this vacuum created by by the absence of team uh, or absence of form for team really because he's been playing these last couple of weeks just not really well um, and yeah you know great, great for him to to get to be Austrian number one um, somebody else I want to talk, talk about Attila Balaj uh, sort of locked into a quarterfinal here. Um, beating Sabanov, who qualified, which is just wild to me that Maciej Sabanov qualified for this event, uh, and they got a retirement from Celik Bilek. But still, you know, it's it's good to see Balaj getting some points here, getting some getting some uh, wins on the board. Yeah, I mean, especially we just talked about team. Team is on an eight match losing streak right now, yeah. and maybe maybe it just shows that perhaps he should also drop down to challengers at some point. But which I think he probably might do after uh, Ron Garros, right? Because mm-hmm. right now it's obviously all in order to prepare for Paris. And it's, it would probably be better to prepare in challengers. But I mean, I understand that he wants to play Rome than like Geneva or, or Lyon or something like this. Lyon. But uh, I do think that after Ron Garros, there's a very big chance that we're going to see team in challengers again, especially as he probably won't be willing to like you know, play on grass instantly. Like it might be some Bratislava or Prostyev, something like this. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's very possible. Right, because Prashev is in the second week of RG, and Bratislava yeah. would be would be the week after. The so week after. if he loses early at Ron Garros, I think there's a very big chance he plays Prashev or the other uh, big challenger on clay that is that week. I think it's Forley. Um, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sure Philip Polashik will be getting on the phone and try try and lobby for a wild card for for team. Uh, since he's, he's helping sort of with um, organization, you know, yeah. But I mean, do you have to lobby for a wild card with team? Well, not I not mean, not not, not, not yeah. so, sort of more lo- lobby team to to go play the ah, event. Lo- okay, call yeah. team. Okay, okay. I, I got it the other way around. Okay. Oh yeah, I I, I think I said it wrong. Yeah, uh, that but, makes but, more sense. No, that that makes more sense. Though. Yeah. Um, yeah. We want to talk about from the singles in in Mauthausen. 
Um, maybe just I will quickly mention the, the loss that Alexander Shevchenko had to Rado Albot. Uh, what was it, like four or five match points? Six, mm-hmm. to, uh, six to up in the first set tie break. I mean, it just feels like to me like he's so close to a breakthrough, but he keeps having these losses that I would really like not expect from him at this point. And I think Albot's on clay counts as a pretty bad loss for him right now. Uh, the yeah. one against Zekic in Barletta definitely counts. Perhaps not the one against Pirosh in Split, like that's fine, obviously. But I mean, Christopher Heyman in Murcia, like they, these are yeah. just losses that at this point I would have expected him to sort of clean up. Um, and and the one against Albot obviously was just a big fat choke at the end. At the end, yeah. Yeah, and as for the doubles, uh, Sander Arendt and David Pell. The, the Dutch pairing uh, won the doubles here, beating Hayatais and Hassan. Their second uh, challenger title this year, and they're number three in the race. Uh, so, so they've really sort of, you know, uh, been, been getting on that level of, of Hidalgo Rodriguez and Dumbia Rebel, who are currently the number one and two. Um, right, should we go to Prague? Sure. Yes, Prague, where... We have Pedro Kachin win the title over Lorenzo Giustino, 6-3-7-6. Kachin, his fourth challenger title, second of the year, uh, and he's number three in the in the challenger race. So clearly putting together a great season. Uh, moves up 24 spots, number 152, new career high. Uh, as for the road to the final, he beats Svrčina, Fornes, Fabiano, and Blancano. Uh, how did you like Kachin this week? I don't think it was as strong as he was in Spain in that uh, free tournament stretch. What was it like Murcia, Madrid, Marbella? Uh, but mm-hmm. he was still. I mean, the, the draw was perhaps a bit weaker. Like it definitely uh, just you know at some point it, it kind of blew up. But he dis- he actually won very easily against two of the strongest performance of Ostrava last week, Stina and Fairness, which counts for something for sure. And then, I mean, Fabiano, Blanca, no, Justino, that that's an easy way to win a challenger title, for sure. But it's not like Pedro Cacin, you know, it's not like he's first this year. <laughs> he's obviously 16-2 in his last 18 matches, which is crazy. All dating back to that win against Dominic Team. We've been mentioning Dominic Team so much so far. Yeah. Uh, but 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 yeah, at this point, I just sort you just sort of expected from Cacin, which is amazing because uh, he's always been one of perhaps some a bit underrated. But one of the guys whom I didn't really think was capable of putting together such a huge run over four tournaments. Uh, so this is this is just really special, and he's like the world number one fifty two right now. Which, yeah, yeah. And he he's not defending like anything in the latter half of the year. If he keeps it up, there's like serious top one hundred chances. But is that possible that he keeps it up? I don't know. He he would still need like 250 points. So in his current form, that's probably five tournaments. But <laughs> can you can you really, you know, can you really keep that up? I don't know. Yeah, I mean his his elo rating this this year is insane. He's like top 40 or something. Yeah. Or or very close. Um, and you know, it's it's definitely deserved because this guy's been on fire. Uh, in recent weeks, I'm really excited to see what he does uh, this week as well. I think he's playing. What is it, Heilbronn? Heilbronn, yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm definitely curious what he puts together next week as well. Uh, as for the other finalist, uh, that was Justino, his fifth challenger final, first one since June 2019. Moves up 26 spots, number 197, re-enters the top 200 there. 
his run included beating Kopil, Donati, Gaio, and Kuzmanov. Um, yeah, a bit of a surprising one from from Justino. Yeah, I mean, it's been such a long time since he had like any decent run. It's not. Yeah. I'm not talking about finals even, but like. Yeah, twenty one thirty nine last year, which is a yeah. really quite bad record. Uh, before that, sixteen nineteen and twenty twenty. Uh, this year, he even with this run, he's ten and fourteen. Uh, so he's been struggling for a few years. Um, and also, such a wild run as well. I mean, he saved match points in two matches. Copil uh, yeah. had a six three five three against him, I think. And with Gaio, it was in the in the deciding tiebreak, so a bit more usual circumstances. Really, the only easy win was against Donati, and uh, I was actually like, I was going to say that my Foraytek pick kind of looks stupid, given he lost to Gaio. But you know, if Foraytek beats Gaio, <laughs> it actually wouldn't be so stupid. Like the, the, there would be some real chances of him making the final. Uh, and Kachin, it's also, uh, I didn't really think, think of mentioning that, but uh, during the week he had some physical issues too. Like there was like blisters in the quarterfinals. And then in the in the final, he had an MTO on his eye. Like from the stream, it was so tough to tell uh, what, what actually, yeah. From the stream, it was super tough to tell what actually happened. So uh, I, I have no clue. And it's a little frustrating, honestly, that, in terms of challenger matches players there's like no real way to check that because normally if if you're watching an atp tour match and there's a medical timeout you don't know type into type it into a twitter search engine and it's going to show you like 10 tweets about the match and maybe someone you know saw something more from the stream or or something and with catching i i did try that and the last tweet was like two hours earlier so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh, we have to provide the information but in this case i had no i had no idea what was happening so <laughs> yeah uh as for the semifinals here in prague we had jeffrey Bancano uh with with kind of a, a surprising run only a second ever semi-final on a, at a challenger um his run was beating fikovic then a third set tie breaking is rosol and then he beat uh clement tabur uh, before taking a set off of catching, uh, but ultimately losing, breaks the top 200. Uh, any thoughts on, on Jeffrey Blancano this week? I mean, wasn't the most impressive run, definitely. Like the, the first set against Kachin, I think, was, was mostly on, on his, uh, on Kachin's, uh, Kachin not really being close to his uh, current recent level. But it's it's something that Blancano has actually... Uh, you know, showed, shown us already, you know, it's not his first run. He's had this fantastic one in Maya. And I think he also had like solid 25K results this year. So there is mm-hmm. some sort of a, a rise happening there of how, you know, how efficient will that, is that going to be? It's still like quite shocking to me when sometimes I just randomly remind myself of the fact that Jeffrey Blancano is a former uh, you know, junior Grand Slam champion. <laughs> like that's oh, there, there is one every year. So um, you know, not 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 every junior year can be as strong as, as some of the other ones and <laughs> stuff like that. But, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, but possibly the the more uh, interesting or, or exciting semifinalist was uh, Kuzmanov because he looked like he was really on a roll. Uh, beating Marchenko, Borges, and and Matterer. Uh, Matterer, he only allowed 
one game. Uh, he breadsticked somebody in every single match uh, and then lost to, to Justino. Uh, any thoughts on, on Kuzmanov this week? Yeah, after the, the first three matches, the, the score lines he put up, it was, uh, you know, he was like a crazy high favorite against Justino. Yeah. Which I, I, it, I didn't think it was right, but I mean, I understood that it's probably because of how easily he dispatched Borges and Martyrer. Like Mar- Marchenko, obviously that doesn't really count. Marchenko hates clay and all, but it was yeah. funny because he was more of a favorite against Justino than against Marchenko. Which, uh, looking at how it ended up, I mean, it was probably an overestimation. Uh, the, the the one against Justino, of course. Yeah. But I did I did watch him against Borges, and and he was just doing the Dimitar Kuzmanov thing, <laughs> where he's just like super solid, defending well, and then just maybe maybe not as exciting to watch as some players, but he's definitely got quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and anybody else you want to talk about in singles in, in Prague? Uh, singles, probably not, but doubles we definitely need to mention, right? Yeah, j- j- just to recap from Prague, uh, your pick was was Foritek, my pick was, was Mahaj. Mahaj actually, drew, yeah. Yeah, we, we drew before the tournament started, so I didn't really have a have a horse in this one. In doubles, uh, your theory keeps proving correct. Borges and Cabral won. Uh, Borges didn't, didn't win in, in singles. But it's like the uh, second round, so now that that, that that week doesn't count for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but Borges Gabriel yet yet another title here. Third, uh, sorry, fourth this year, uh, if you include uh, Estoril, which yeah, is obviously uh, the biggest one. They they've actually not lost. They've lost one match this year. They're 18 and one together on, on the year in doubles. Yeah. And it's like 42 and three. If you go back to September last year, they lost yeah. two finals in challengers like Lisbon and something else. And they lost this year indoors in Forli to uh, Cornell and Fallert. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, and especially that they have a 250 title there. I, I don't remember ever seeing something like this on the challenger to really like yeah. we we've had pairs that did well like Dumbia and Rebul won like five titles last year right I, I recently even uh, mentioned that Lukash Kubot won nine in uh, eight nine titles or eight titles in 2008 uh, I can't remember nine or eight titles in 2008 but he still was losing some matches <laughs> and I mean Cabral is losing at times when he's not playing with Borges but Borges is playing only with Cabral and they're basically killing everyone the only loss they had was indoors on clay they're still unbeaten this year. Yeah, I I'm really curious how far can this go really with, with, with the two of them having results like this being essentially un, undefeated uh, for 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 so long. Could, could they take could they take it to the ATP tour full time? Maybe I'm I'm not sure. If Borges uh, gets I'm to not, play ATP yeah. tour full time in singles, I think at some it, point it there's be, gonna be a scheduling con- conflict. I just can't imagine Nuno saying. Okay, I'm gonna focus on doubles now. Like he's yeah. definitely way too ambitious for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm not. You know, I I didn't talk to him for an hour or something. But I mean, he just seems like a very motivated guy to uh, to at least try before he would make such a move. Obviously, for Cabral, his singles career is effectively over. Like he's he's played one match this year, I think, uh, as an alternate against Lucas Ger. Uh, so, uh, so he's he for him it's it's simply doubles is his all his all his life and Borges the you know, the thing that you mentioned uh, that uh, you know my my thesis sort of uh, 
uh, was that when when they when they went deep in doubles, it would often end up that Nuno was dead tired for some for one singles match, like a semi or a quarter or or a final. And at some point, the the scheduling conflicts are gonna arise, and I you know, they, they they will have to. And Nuno is probably not going to play with anyone else, but Cabral is actually forced to look for some different partners on some weeks, right? Even with Shimon Valkov, he won a challenger title this year. So he's not yeah. only he's not only won four titles, he's won five. But he also played with Manuel Guinard. He also played with someone completely different that I can't remember right now. And uh and and I I I don't know. I mean who's closer to the ATP tour right now? Like together they're they are they aren't going to make it as a doubles pair. Nuno yeah. can probably play qualies for 250s. So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's very interesting because, like, if they go on the main tour and it works, I I, th- I, th- I think it's going to be a very hard decision to break it up as, as long as you can keep playing qualifying. Yes, and they're also, uh, like, uh, childhood friends. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, so exactly. That's, that makes it even tougher, yeah. But, but, but you know, you, you, always, you always have, like, weeks. I don't know. Like like Masters one thousand weeks where where he doesn't get into qualifying and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. Which which obviously I I think that's where the conflict would would really arise. But it's it's sort of fascinating. Uh, their opponents in the final here were Paulson and uh, Pavlasek, who who were a very interesting pairing. Uh, got some good wins, including Dumbia Rebo. They beat six three six two. Uh, obviously their semifinal was a bit closer than that against Monroe and Romboli. Um, and early on in the, in the super tiebreak, I, I sort of thought that they might have a chance against Borges and Cabral, but then didn't really materialize for them. Um, okay, anything else from from Prague? No. Right. Let's go to Salvador, where we had a a shock really of a, of a titleist in João Dominguez taking the title over Tomas Barrios Vera seven six six one, his third challenger title, first one since May twenty nineteen in in Braga. He moves at 59 spots, number 330. His run, uh, including being Lingua, uh, beating Lingua, Lavallen, Hart, Leite, Olivo, and, and Barrios Vera in the final. Um, yeah, what did you think of Dominguez here? Yeah, as you said, we, we just mentioned that um, Lorenzo Giustino was awful the past two years. Dominguez was even worse. <laughs> like, I think the la- he only made one quarterfinal since the beginning of 2020. And it was a challenger in Lisbon last year, and you know it, the run stops there. This year he was two and uh, two and seven or two and nine. I can't remember now. Two and nine, right? Two and nine, yeah. Yeah, two and nine coming here. <laughs> and obviously this draw wasn't too strong, but he still like he defeated the first two seeds, so yeah, he exactly. he really like got the got the worst of it. I I I am completely shocked. It's not that I don't think João Dominguez can play great tennis. He did before 2020, but it's just so long. <laughs> yeah, I just got used to thinking of Dominguez as someone who's just gonna lose every single match he plays, pretty much. What was what, what were the wins that he had this before the you know before this run this year? So he uh, he beat and Bobrov in Barletta, and then uh, a walkover from Travaglia in Rosetta de Liabruzzi. So he really won one. No, that's match. not. No, no, the Travaglia win doesn't count. It was the the other one oh, yeah, was no, sorry, in Buenos yeah. Aires. Yeah, Juan yeah, Ignacio did. Galarza. Like, come on, Juan Ignacio Galarza is currently the world number seven hundred and thirty-eight, and Bobrov is probably like what four hundred? Yeah, four hundred seventy-six. These were yeah. his wins this year. 
and against any other players. Like he took a set of Tito Androga, of Baranko Cosano, which isn't bad, and also took a set of Esteve Lobato. Everyone else he was just doing his straights. And I'm I'm not surprised that he that, that he was uh, like he was only a favorite in one of his matches this this week. I'm surprised he was that big of an underdog against Barrios Vera after having like actually decent matches yeah. for the he, for he, the very first time. Yeah, and I I, I don't know. Let, let, let's see what he does with it. But this is really one of the most unexpected runs, and it's not gonna sh- not gonna sound as, so- as shocking as it was when I don't know Evgeny Turnev won a challenger last year, or even when Andrea Pellegrino won, because Dominguez has already done it like three years ago. But just on recent form, this is probably like one of the most shocking challenger runs I've seen. Yeah, it's pretty insane. I mean, the fact that he moves up 60 spots, but it's still so far of the top 300 tells you everything about his results over the last years. It's been it's been real bad. I mean, 11-28 last season is is, is <laughs> really quite grim. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what he does with it, I guess. Um, yeah, as for Barrios Vera, he has to be disappointed here. His fourth challenger final and only one title. Um, that this is a pretty bad final results for for Barrios Vera to be frank, and his other ones were Baez and and De Jong, so not as bad, but uh, still kind of concerning. Moves up eleven spots to number one hundred thirty four. His wins uh, this year th- th- this week were over Menezes, Reis da Silva, Lama, and Villanueva. Um, yeah, what did you think of Barrios Vera in, in Salvador? I wouldn't be concerned about the final record given he, he lost to he defeated Serundolo, right? I mean Baez de Young, that's that's not really uh that's not really poor. But yeah, I, I don't think he ever played that well this week. Like there's a very huge ranking gap between Barrios Vera, maybe not very huge in terms of Olivo or uh, I don't know, Hugo Carabelli, who was the, the third seed but withdrew, right? Yeah, yeah, but but in terms of Barrios Vera, Olivo, and other competitors here, I think it's gonna be even bigger in Coquimbo next week. And uh, I don't think he ever really played his best this week. He just sort of went through the draw because that's you know that's what he does. He's not gonna draw below a certain level. But in the final, it was very disappointing to see the second set from him. Like he just totally lost his motivation. Yeah, it, it's pretty normal that a set with uh, that that a set with such circumstances almost an hour and a half gives the other player a lot of momentum. That's that's totally fine, but you just shouldn't you know, give up on it like this. And Barrios Vera just did. And I actually have a have a question for you. Like I I was thinking about it a bit earlier, and then someone on Twitter, uh, FK Anthony, I don't know if you know the guy, asked like said something about it, and I asked him what does he think about this strategy of Barrios to stay in South America and sort of vulture these these two weaker challengers. Like the, this is obviously nice for him in terms of points. He got 50 this week. Let's see how many he gets in Coquimbo. But I mean, isn't it a little bit dangerous towards his Ron Garros qualities chances? Like, is that is that worth it? Uh, you know, according to you? And the, the guy asked it too, he said that it shows like a lack of ambition to him. Which is sort of sort of true that that you know in in terms of points it makes sense because he's defending a lot uh, right now, uh, but uh, I think that this uh, sentence is very true that Barrios is sort of at the stage where you're either looking to grow as a player or you sort of limit your ceiling, and that that's that's sort of true like like that 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 shows that he's maybe not dreaming of 
uh, I don't know, having a deep run at in Europe in one of the 250s, but like you know, Estoril or Munich or something where he could play qualities, but he actually wanted to stay here and play these weaker. Uh, it's smart from, from the point sense. Yeah, what do, what do you think? So my my thoughts on this are that I, I I think it's justified by by how many points he is coming off in the in, in the coming weeks, like in, until July he he has Zagreb semifinals coming off, uh, Almaty final coming off, so I f- I feel like in this case it makes sense because he's trying to keep himself afloat for uh, Wimbledon qualities, US Open qualities, trying trying to keep himself seated maybe. Um, just, just so you can enjoy a bigger, like, like better draws there. Um, does it show a lack of ambition? Maybe, but I feel like I don't know. It, 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 it I think it's probably guided by how he did in the U.S., where he didn't have a great time. So when what was it two and two and four across yeah. Houston, Sarasota, Tallahassee, and Savannah? Um, so I, I I feel like had he done better there, he would have more 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 points in the bank. Go and try it out in Europe in tougher draws. But I I, I think it's smart that to to stay in Salvador when when you need you need points, uh, stay in South America and and play these events. Somebody has to win them. Somebody has to get in there. So why? Joao Dominguez. <laughs> That's when Joao Dominguez <laughs> stepped up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't mind it so much in this case where he really has mm-hmm. to defend other points uh, coming up and he'd he be sort yeah. of putting himself in danger. Yeah, you're right. That, that were some solid arguments, yeah. Yeah, as for our picks, um, this, this weekend in Salvador, I picked Renzo Olivo. You, you called me, you know, I don't know, a, a coward for being so safe. <laughs> sort of. he, he, he made the semifinals. Um, well, the loss was a big issue. I was a bit, um, I don't know, shocked by. I wasn't expecting it, even though his his result against Boscar and Diaz wasn't, you know, amazing in the quarterfinals. That that um, uh, performance. Yours was Andreev, who didn't make it into the into the main draw. But he retired. He, he retired. Yes. Obviously, if he wasn't hurt, obviously he would have won this event. <laughs> No, but honestly, I just think I just figured that uh, in this draw, like if I don't want to go for Barrios, Vera, or Olivo, and neither of them was particularly convincing for me, I just thought that like there's no way I'm getting the winner right. So I just thought that I might go for something crazy. But actually, I think even though Dominguez won it, I think maybe this sort of teaches me like a bit of a lesson in terms of the that if I want to get points in events like this I should probably actually look for the top seeds because Barrios Vera was you know I don't know maybe maybe he takes one of the set points in the in the tie break and and it, maybe he wins it like perhaps it's actually better to you know to to, to do it differently yeah it, it, it always needs mixing up it's it's no fun but when we you know they call the same guys Especially if they're if they're high seeds, but the, the Andrea picks into the <laughs> out of left field to me. Um, yeah, so some other guys we we should mention here: uh, Gonzalo Villanueva with the semifinal run here, uh, beating Meligeni, uh, Alves, then Casanova, then Dutra da Silva before losing to Barrios Vera in three. So it's all a week from from Villanueva, I think. Yeah, and there was also uh, Pedro Boscartin Diaz doing very well, which was yeah. uh, perhaps one of the one of the bigger surprises. He actually held too much points against Olivo, but committed like awful, st- unforced errors on both of them. 
so just, just some sort of more mental improvement and maybe he would be the one uh, just, a, just a slight mental uh, improvement and he would be the one playing Dominguez in the semis which would have been very very interesting to see as well yeah I, I was also very impressed by by Wilson Leite mm -hmm, yeah uh, the the thirty year old qualifier who profited from the Andreev uh, injury in qualifying, uh, then beating Puccinelli de Almeida and Juarez to make his first uh, challenger quarterfinal at age thirty, uh, twelve years since his challenger debut. So I, that must have been huge for him. I, I didn't see his Juarez uh, match, but I'm sure that he was he was celebrating. Yeah, this uh, is the, these tournaments are a great space for players like this, like Dutra da Silva yeah. again reaching quarterfinals. I think he recently made his first semi at 33 years old, but it's like a similar, uh, similar thing. Just ITF players who can actually have a have their first big challenger run because the draw is just weaker than than it usually is. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in the doubles, we had the top seeds, uh, Diego Hidalgo and Cristian Rodriguez winning another title. Uh, they've been on fire this year. This year, they're uh, the challenger race number one in doubles, four titles, seven finals in 2022. Uh, and they beat Orlando Luz and Felipe Meligeni Alves. Uh, yeah, so we also have to talk to you about Exxon Provence, which finished on Monday. Yes, Axon Provence, we get our points. Let's go. Benjamin Bonzi uh, wins his eighth challenger title, beating Gregora Barrer, 6-2-6-4. Moves up 14 spots to his new career high ranking of number 56. Well, one of the easiest draws probably that he's had outside of the, the Hari matchup in the semis. He beat uh, Debru, Jacques, uh, Ramkumar Ramanathan, uh, Nicolas Hari, and then uh, Barrer in the final. Yeah, what did you think of Bonzi this week? Yeah, for how strong this draw it was, you can actually you can actually expect something a bit a bit tougher. Yeah, um, I mean Benjamin Bonzi winning challenger titles. What else is new? <laughs> <laughs> the the match against Jari, as we as we it was obviously great in terms of the drama. Uh, did he ever truly need his you know peak level? Probably not. I think the final was probably his best performance. Uh, it, I, maybe it's actually good that it, it was on Sunday, it was on Monday because then Barrera wasn't really tired from his third set against Kotov on, on Sunday, but still he didn't make it close. It's, it's very funny that uh, they're going to play again in Bordeaux, which, is, which yeah, probably happens yeah. tomorrow, I think. So <laughs> round, round one in Bordeaux. So unless, unless any one of them in, withdraws at the time of recording, no one has yet. Uh, although I, I wouldn't be surprised if Barrier is like, no, Bonzi again? Screw it. No, I'm, not, I'm, not playing. I'm not playing. Yeah, he was excellent again. And obviously he's he's been more of a tour level player recently, but 10-0 in challengers this year. And uh, we, we've been picking him a lot and he's been just granting us points. It's a bit of a shame that it's a joint point, but I mean... Well, yeah, I mean, we, we we both knew that we have to go for this in this draw. I mean, Bonzi yeah. was an obvious pick there. Um, but yeah, as as for Barrer, uh, it was his ninth challenger final, three and six in those finals. He moves up 37 spots, number 210. Uh, his road was actually arguably quite a bit tougher, uh, starting with beating Tsonga, uh, then Varias and Alice. Uh, before beating Kotov in the in the semis, it was actually proved to be a very tricky matchup. Um, yeah, do you think this was good for Barrer? What, what, what do you think? Um, like, like, how well can he do? 
going forward on, on clay this summer. Yeah, I think he was the underdog in every match, which probably yeah. comes from the fact that uh that that he was zero and three at this clay court season uh, before that. I still like him more on faster surfaces, but I mean th- these are the the wins that you mentioned. These are some real quality players. Songa actually served for the match, which is pretty funny. That mm. uh, you know, if if it was so close for Tsonga to get the, the win, although I doubt Tsonga would be then defeating Varias Alice and Kotov, but it would yeah. be fun to see, of course. Uh, yeah, uh, that we definitely have to talk about Quentin Alice too, because we've been sort Absolutely. of, yeah, we've he... been sort of mentioning that he's so close to the top 100s and finally, he finally broke it. Um, in not probably not the most impressive fashion, uh, wins over Antoine Huang and, and Calvin Emery. He was quite lucky with a lot of guys dropping points, sort of, you know, dropping below him. Um, so even though I, I think that he lost points this week, like, like, like so, over, yeah. more than he's defending, but he still gets to break the top 100 is a little bit anticlimactic, but he's been having a great season on, on all surfaces, really. Even on clay, he's been doing decently enough. Um, yeah, do, do you think Elise can go any higher or is this sort of him maxing out? Yeah, I'm afraid this might be him maxing out. Like, obviously, during in March, in February, he was definitely playing at like a top 50 ish level, but is it really sustainable? Probably not. It's definitely not sustainable for him on clay. Like, if the, if the whole tour was indoors, yeah. But then again, did he really, you know, did he ever have any great main tour runs? I can't really think of anything. Like that, that there was a, uh, an Australian Open second round or something like this, a second round at the French, but, but like even, even indoor events like Mets, Marseille or something, like I can't really remember Alice doing anything there. I'm not saying he's not capable of that, but like over a longer period, it's hard to see him doing, you know, just, just, I don't know, progressing to something like a top 50 player, but still it's, it would be a travesty if he never got to the world's best hundred. And finally he's done it after getting to 102 in 2018, then even falling out of the top 200, but getting back there again. Yeah, uh, here's my question, a little bit self-indulgent. He, he's been number one in the challenger race for for a while. Uh, do do you think he finishes number one? He he has he has 67 points over Draper, and then 115 points over Kachin, who's third. I mean, Draper is not playing any challengers probably <laughs> from now on. Yeah. It, it, it's actually very possible. Like if he has any decent grass court run, he's probably never touching challengers anymore this season mm-hmm. it's 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 actually yeah. yeah it's very possible uh maybe like an indoor one in the some in the in the fall if he's not doing that great but so far he's only signed up for on garros so we don't really know much uh it's possible that he has he plays one on, on grass in sorbiton or something like this uh anyhow uh who's who, who's next catching yeah i mean I, I would probably favor a guy that's definitely going to play a full challenger schedule over alice but then again it, it really depends on his scheduling too because we've seen last year that if you're like a greek sport a bonzi or a bias and you still keep playing challengers even though you could be playing atp qualities probably then you're you you can really like get these records to an insane to an insane number. I'm not saying he's going yeah. for six titles, but 
uh, if he decides to play challengers instead of ATP qualies or ATP 250s with weaker draws, then it's certainly possible, especially as the, the, the indoor season in the fall is also pretty pretty long. But I guess if you're Quentin Alice, you should probably try to do something that you've never really been able to do. Well, because, mm-hmm. you know, he's obviously really... On, I, I guess he's only really played... Main, in terms of main tour events, he's probably played Branson Qualies and the French indoor events for the most part. And right now, he's actually at a ranking that gives him the chance to try something else. So I, I don't know. It's uh, I, I'd say it's more likely that he actually leaves the challengers for, for a moment or, or no, a couple of months. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Yes, circling back around to the semifinalists, uh, we had Nicolas Hari making his third semifinal of 2022, uh, beating Gastel Eliash, Corentin Monte, and Alexander Muller before that very close match with Bonzi. Uh, quite impressive week from from Hari, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I have always really thought that this is a guy who's gonna get back to the top 100 at some point, and he just keeps putting up solid weeks maybe not ones that really get him super close but you know, if he if he beats bonzi he's, he would be a huge favorite against barrer as well and just his baseline game was just really good this week which is recently has been not not always the case let's say that yes uh, and the other semifinal is maybe a bit of a surprise in in pavel kotov I didn't really see it coming. Although his run wasn't the toughest, he had uh, come back from a set down against Lestien, then a set down against Cuevas, uh, then beat uh, Hugo Granier, who's been like all over the place this season um, in, in the quarterfinals. Uh, yeah, what, what do you think this means for, for Kotov going forward? I guess we underrate him a bit. I mean, the, the, the season that he's had so far is, is pretty awesome. Uh, besides the, the title in January, he, even on clay, he's like actually getting a lot of good wins. He almost beat Carbaez Baena at Madrid. Uh, had a second round in Marrakesh, the, the ATP 250. So I guess it's just one of many great runs that Pavel Kotov has had. And he's actually at 156 in the ATP rankings. I didn't know he was already that uh, that high up, but it's it actually makes sense. Like looking at the past half six months, probably. And a guy with a real surprise run uh, was Ramkumar Ramanathan, <laughs> who got a retirement from Verdasco in the second set and then beat Caruso on clay, which is just shocking to me. He was um, essentially winless. He, he won two matches in, in Davis Cup uh, against Denmark with both of the guys outside the top 700. Um, and outside that, uh, it was literally winless. Um, and yeah, and then he went and took a set off Ponzi. Really <laughs> bizarre. What did you think of Ramanathan this week? Yeah, really, I, I didn't even realize he only had these Davis Cup wins. I thought there were a few. I remember the the beginning of the year when we were pointing out that amazing doubles record, and he, he like he was like sixteen zero in doubles and zero yeah. five in singles at some at some point. Yeah, I didn't yeah. even realize he, that he only he, he's on twenty four and eight in in doubles, and he stopped eighty in doubles. His singles ranking has to start declining at some point. He's still in the top 200, but I don't know for how much longer. Yeah, he's got I, that I, Manama title, right? That, that's dropping yeah. at, in November. So I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we see him evolve at the age of 27 into like a doubles specialist, mostly, to be honest. Yeah. For, for Ramanathan. It's surprising if, if, that if his doubles uh-huh. hold up this year. Yeah. 
I mean, it's surprising that these wins came on clay, of course, with his playing yeah. style. But I, I did watch Caruso against um, Pechi Pericard in Bordeaux yesterday. I didn't see the match against Ramanathan. And I'm a bit less surprised than I was. Like, that that truly wasn't great viewing. Caruso, it seems to be, like, really low on confidence right now. Did he win today in the in Bordeaux qualies, even? I don't Ah, okay. Uh, he's, he's still to... No, no, no. Caruso, he's still to play uh, Bonchetri. But Ramanathan mm. lost to Menezes, so that's, yeah. that sudden resurgence wasn't really lasting long. Yes, and finally, to close out our Aix-en-Provence discussion, uh, Joe Wilfried Tsonga has played uh, most likely his final Challenger Tour event, uh, since he's not in, in Bordeaux. Um, yeah, he, it's, it's been interesting. He's been like quite a bit better than I expected, based on what he showed in 2020 and 2021. That was quite grim, and I was worried that he would be getting killed um, at, at these challenges, like like Gilles Simon has been getting killed for the most part, for example. Uh, but yeah, I've been sort of semi-impressed. It's not always materialized into wins, uh, but it's he, he's he's not been embarrassed by anybody this entire comeback, which I think is is a good thing when you when you're going on the sort of little retirement tour type of situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like quite a few more challenger titles than I thought. How many do you, how many do you think that he would have? I didn't check it, so that's that, that's good. Um, I don't really remember him dropping out to play challengers. I I know he won like Cassis in two thousand nineteen because that was like the shortest final ever against Sela. So I yeah. would assume that the previous ones would be. Uh, would be in the at the beginning of his career, so I would say I don't know four or five max. He actually has nine uh, challenger titles. All right. So. Yeah, he, he's, he 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 won a lot of uh, challengers early on in his career, mm-hmm. uh, like 2007 stuff like that. So so he actually had quite a bit of success on the challenger tour. Um, yeah, it's it's a shame. This guy retiring that I uh, really enjoyed when I was younger. He was one of my favorite players. Uh, when I started following tennis on that sort of, I don't know, Del, Del Potro is always my favorite, but he was on that second tier with like Monfils and Adal and stuff. Um, so yeah, farewell to Joe Bofritsonga from the Challenger Tour here. Yeah, I think he's he has a wildcard for Lyon and then just uh, just around Garros. So, yeah. uh, so just two more matches, maybe? <laughs> two more yeah, tournaments. I, I really sure. hope he gets a win at, at Roland Garros. Um, mm-hmm. But We'll Best see. of five, it's going to be probably tougher than in Lyon, but yeah. let's see. And nine of them, I, I'm actually trying to pull up because I was interested in, in like whether they were all at the beginning of his career besides, besides Cassis. Yeah, it looks like that. Yeah, so he he, just, uh-huh. the, the one before was uh, Serbiton uh, in 2007. He had like a 12-year mm-hmm. gap between winning that and, and Cassis. Yeah, I remembered Cassis, but I would never have guessed that he won eight before he became a top player. It's pretty rare that you know he won two challengers in 2004, and then it took him four years to uh, to really become a major player. Which obviously, normally, it's not it's nothing shocking, but like in terms of his talent, in terms of the scale of his potential. Yeah. He never he never won a clay court challenger at all. Actually, only won one clay event in his whole career, which is That's also kind of surprising. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah but um, I don't know. Is that all Javier Fitzsonga that we have? Yeah, I think so. I mean, not not to bring up his losses when he was retiring, but I completely I was going mm-hmm. through his losses, like, like through his previous matches, and I completely forgot that he lost to Philip Horansky. This year, uh, I don't know. No. No, ah, no, no, uh, no. I, I know, I know. Wait, wait, wait. 
uh, Bordeaux 2019? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. Because I was in Sopot later and Horansky was the runner-up. And I remember just, uh, I was there with, there with my dad and I remember checking the scores and like, you know, he didn't really know who Horansky was. And I, yeah. I was like, he beat Tsonga uh, this year. And, and I mean, I, I I just, you know, just stuck with me that I, I, I don't think I, I saw it, but it was like a very big event that year uh, with, with a lot of, uh, I think Pui was also playing. I think Pui won it. I think this is actually Luca Pui's only challenger title. Uh, yeah, but, but this is very, <laughs> this is very off topic though. Um, at least, uh, well, Luca Pui, we will probably be talking about a few more times because he's not, uh, he's probably going to be back in challengers. Right. Should we go to the match of the week and upset of the week? Yeah. So do we go for match or upset of the week first? Uh, let's do the upset first. Who, who yep. did you have at the biggest upset? Yeah, there's like three extremely huge upsets according to the bookies. And two of them are in Salvador de Bahia, but are they this huge? Like the, the biggest one is Wilson Leite over Puccinelli de Almeida. I guess it, I guess it's fair. And there's also yeah, the he, final. He, he's, been, he's been out of form, Puccinelli de Almeida. And then also the final, you said? Yeah, the final has actually the <laughs> second highest score, which is weird to me because I just don't get it. Like, obviously, before the tournament, I wouldn't have expected Dominguez to win. But here, after he won four matches, I was like, okay, Barres Vera is the favorite, but I mean... If Dominguez wasn't that huge and of an underdog against Olivo, then why is he right now? But anyhow, my pick is going to be the third one. And it's going to be... By the way, I, I see that Midler over Gerasimov has another huge like huge odds. I, I don't really get that on clay, really. Anyhow, yeah. I, I'm just going to go with Krumich over De Jong. That was quite a bit of a shock to me. I think Jesper De Jong has been... Um, maybe not getting great results, but actually playing quite well. Especially Rome last week, he was he was very good. Just barely lost to Quentin Alice, and that was definitely the the most shocking result for me this week. Yeah, uh, me too. Krumich, we sort of got used to uh, as a sort of random check wild card. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He 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 was he was quite good against Altmaier. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, but this this win sort of came out of nowhere. De Jong had set points in both sets, then closed it out. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's sort of puzzling this result. Yeah, who who was your who was your match of the week? Um, maybe you can go first because I'm still not sure. <laughs> okay, so uh, I've decided to go for Benjamin Bonzi beating Nicolas Hari six seven seven six seven six. Uh, great match, three tight breaks, very you know fun atmosphere. Uh, yeah, really, really enjoyable watch. Trying to, to seeing these two guys uh, battle it out, lots of you know twists and whatnot. Yeah, I forgot we also have excellent Provence to choose from because it's gonna yeah. finish tomorrow. And uh, yeah, I'm also gonna go for the same. Uh, definitely very high quality. Jari played well from the baseline, which is not always the case with him. The comeback was also fun. Uh, and and you know just free tie breaks. I like it a lot. Let's see if yeah. you know tomorrow we're going to see if Bonzi uh, claims the title. But this was definitely one of the better matches in in recent memory on the Challenger Tour. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. So let's go to some previews here. Um, let's start with the, with the with the biggest one probably. Yeah. In Bordeaux, the 125, where Hugo Gaston is the top seed playing Fernando Verdasco. 
the winner of that matchup faces Pablo Cuevas or Arturo Fields. Uh, then we have Quentin Alice, who just broke into the top 100, uh, facing Hugo Grenier. The winner faces Jack Salk or a qualifier. Then we have Richard Gasquet playing Christopher Eubanks, winner facing Gasto Elias or Elias Imer, which is, I don't know, that was, that was just fun to me, to the battle of the <laughs> Elias. Uh, then we have Chega Monteiro playing Pavel Kotov, uh, winner facing Taro Daniel, uh, Taro Daniel or, or qualifier. Then there's Carlos Tabener playing Liam Brody, winner facing Alexei Popyrin or um, a qualifier. Then there's Jaime Munar playing Stefan Kozlov, winner facing Pierre Uperber or another qualifier. Uh, final section, we have a potential replay of the Axon Provence final. In yeah, this is crazy. Uh, insane stuff. And then Bonzi, if he wins, could play Harry again in the second round, potentially, if Harry beats uh, Luca Pui. Also in the section, Juan Pablo Varias, uh, Nuno Borges, and two qualifiers. Absolutely insane section, that last one. Uh, yeah, who do you like here in, in Bordeaux? Yeah, th- this is pretty crazy. I didn't even realize. Like, I remembered that Barrer played Bonzi. I definitely looked at this matchup earlier, but then it just completely fell out of my mind that, that this is actually happening again. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the qualies, and I'm not sure there's, like, any guys who could do really well here. Uh, because the draw is so strong that that's uh, challenger yeah. one to five and, and it's like really really good uh there's been that there, there's been a few players that we usually don't see in qualifying like Car- caruso or genesi they actually got uh, got in as alternates gulbis defeated Kazo, which is quite interesting like the, that matchup against so- pedro Souza and gulbis this is like vintage 2018 challenger tour or something like this <laughs> anyhow uh yeah looking at the main draw there's really a lot of good guys here i'm thinking of someone like gasquet because i like the early draw gaston verdasco i don't really want to go into i i really want to see cuevas uh, against fields i didn't even man- uh, look at jack sog earlier but i'm also curious how he's gonna do on red clay right now Munar Kozlov, I think this is not really a tr- not a, not a tricky matchup for uh, Munar, even though it might seem so at first. But I mean, Kozlov has been just awful in recent weeks. So this is actually perhaps what I'm going for because the bottom uh, quarter is so strong. You've got Jari Puli, Barer Bonzi. I don't know if either of them is going to play this. You know, it's possible that they withdraw. But there's also Varias and Borges. Like that's such a tough quarter. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm going to go with Munar. I was recently a bit shocked to discover that he was still at the ranking level that he is. Like I, I figured that because of all the good results he's done recently, he was going to be like in the top 60. And he like recently broke the top 100 again, which I think is very unfair to, to where his playing strength lies right now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've started looking this week. Uh, I've, I've added to my notes the, the LO ratings, like, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, the best this year, the, the best on the surface and stuff out of the field. Some very interesting stuff. Jack Sock, apparently, to, <laughs> according to LO, should be like a top three 
candidate to win this. I don't quite see it for him. Uh, he, he he has like the best clay uh, LO rating out of anybody else in the in the whole field. Uh, I'm gonna go for for Munar as well. I I, I, quite, I really like the first two rounds. Kozlov uh, had like the worst clay LO by far out yeah. of anybody in the field. Then then you have Erber or qualifier. Tabener sort of con- concerning, but when you look at what, what, like how strong this draw is, um, it's it's not. You know, everybody's gonna have a tough matchup uh, at some point before the quarterfinals. So yeah, we, we're both going Munar here. Yeah, the chance that that we make it is just low because there's so many players that can win it. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. so many in this draw. <laughs> yeah, Stuff. absolutely. Um, right, we can go on to our second tournament, that being Heilbronn, where the top seed is Daniel Altmaier playing Facundo Mena, uh, winner facing Pedro Cachin or Constantin Stien. Then we have a very fun matchup, Marc Andra Hisler against Camilo Ucarabey, two guys who've been on form recently. The winner gets to play uh, Tiago Tirante or Max Hans Rechberg. Second section, we have Daniel Elahi Galan playing Yela Sells. Winner facing Dominic Staker or Qualifier. Then we have Chung Tsing Tseng playing Ernesto Escobedo. Uh, the winner facing Zizou Bergs or a Qualifier. Third section, Ben Abeza Patamirayes, uh, defending champion and with a wild card here, plays Marius Kopil. Uh, winner facing Nicola Kuhn or Qualifier. Then we have Andre Martin playing Igor Gerasimov. Um, winner facing Gilles Simon or a qualifier. Final section, Facundo Bagnis plays Mitchell Kruger. Winner facing Bjorn Fratangelo or a qualifier. And then we have Radu Albot playing Alexander Richard and facing one of the two qualifiers. We had uh, Tima Reitovan pull out recently as well. So, so there's going to be a lucky loser in the draw. Uh, well, yeah, who do you like in, in Halberon? Where was he in the draw? I think he was he, he, he was in the, the last section. Mm-hmm. I'm so now uh, he wasn't a seed. Okay, never mind. Oh, no, uh, he, yeah, if he, if he wasn't a seed, then it doesn't really matter, I suppose. Uh, yeah, in the qualities, there's a few good guys like uh, Foretek again. I'm not saying I'm gonna pick him, not with the strength <laughs> of the draw, but uh, no. I mean, he's still uh, Rudolf Molecker won a challenger match again, and 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 I mean, recently there's been like a a definite change for the for the good in his game. But he's playing Zekic, who's also in good form. So I don't know. Sumit Nagal won the match for the first time since since an injury that he had. It wasn't an impressive win uh, against Yannick Kelm, a uh, German wildcard. Honest, I don't really know, frankly. But uh, but but yeah, it's it's just something to look at. Anyhow, uh, not as strong as Bordeaux, of course, but still so much stuff to look forward to. And I have no idea really where to go with this. Altmaier in recent weeks has been poor. I'm not con- I'm not that convinced about Bagnis, but the section he's in that isn't really carrying that many clay court threats. Fratangelo was actually decent on red clay, as far as I remember. Uh, Zapata Mirales is an option. Like in Barcelona, he played pretty well. And I, I think that might be one of the guys that I'm looking at. As Sang as well, he recently got uh, that little bit of rest that was probably required with the, with how much he's actually, you know, how much his body uh, was just under 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 how much um, stress and and just recently with all the tournaments that he played. But there's also Galan in that section. So yeah, let's go for Andre Man. Yeah, no, 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 no. 
I'm not going for Andre Martin, although uh, you should know, uh, the, the, the listeners, I mean, that Andre Martin did pretty well in the Slovak Extraliga, right? Yeah, he, he, he sealed the win for his team, uh, Poprat Tatry, they, they, they won the Extraliga this year. Uh, he beat Filip Horansky in the final. He beat Kacper Žuk in the, in the semifinals. Uh, so yeah, he, he's been on a real tear, uh, Andre Martin. I'm, I'm not sure who's going to stop him here in this draw. He's going to rip through it. Yeah, thanks for buying me some time. I made up my mind. <laughs> Bernabe Zapata Mirales is my pick, the defending uh, champion. I think he was very good in both Barcelona and the story simply. And uh, yeah, that's why. Yeah, I, I have also written down Zapata Mirales. I'm not sure if I'm going to you know, match with you twice. I'm going to talk about some other guys. The top section is frustrating to me. Altmaier, Kachin, Ugu Karabi, Hisler, they're all out because they have to play each other before the quarters. I just don't like that. Yeah. Zapata Mirais, I love the draw. There is nobody good in this in the section of the draw. Martin, Gerasimov, Gilles Simon, Kun Kopil. I mean, that that would be a, a, an absolutely lovely draw to the semifinals. Then semifinal point, who's gonna be Bagnis, Richard, uh, Fretangelo? Like I'm not that concerned either. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm gonna have to stick with Zapata Mirais. Yeah, uh, um, it has to be. The, the longer I look at it, I mean. Yeah, he, he's he's just so the the best option by far. The the only issue with with Galan and Seng is they have to play each other in the quarters. Um, otherwise, I I'm, I might be going Galan here. Otherwise, but yeah, I'm just gonna stick with Zapata Mirais. It's funny because I thought of Seng, <laughs> but yeah, that Seng was like my my second option. Yeah, but Zapata Mirais definitely seems like a very premium pick here the last time i think with the last time we thought that someone was such a good pick compared to the rest of the field was nuno borges in uh barletta and it worked out yeah. so maybe maybe it's gonna work out again yeah here's hoping it's some points on the on the board uh next up we go to zagreb where we have jordan thompson uh playing a qualifier then ricardo bonadio or another qualifier other scene in the section is jason kubler playing felipe meligeni alvish uh, then we have Maximilian Matera playing Niklas Kiker. Uh, oh, there's been a withdrawal. Uh, Damir Jumhur uh, withdrew. So there, 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 there's um, the, the high seed in the second section is Juan Pablo Fikovic playing Alexander Muller. Uh, the winner of that playing Duja Edukovic or a qualifier. Uh, also in the section, Lukas Latsko, Filip Horansky and two qualifiers. So um, an interesting one there. Third section, we have Christopher O'Connell playing a qualifier, winner facing Daniel Masur or another qualifier. Uh, then Vít Kopšiva plays Dimitar Kuzmanov, winner facing Nino Sederusic or Dino Prismic. And the final section, Alexander Vukic plays Andrei Kuznetsov, winner facing Mirza Basic or Kalin Ivanovsky. Uh, and then Federico Gajo plays a qualifier, Emily Polichak plays a qualifier. Uh, yeah, who, who do you think are the favorites here in, in Zagreb? Yeah, we already see a bit of a drop-off in quality you know, in regards to Helbron and Aix-en-Provence. This drop-off is going to be really shocking in Shimken and Coquimbo, but it's not yet. Uh, and it, it makes it, it makes for a very even draw, so I think this might actually help us in that uh, maybe we're not going to have the same picks anymore. I think there's actually even a lot of guys in the qualities that could do well. Uh, Misolic playing Shank, for example, is a, is a phenomenal final qualifying ground matchup. Uh, Fabian Maroshan as, well, Maroshan as well. 
And there's also Ibing Vu uh, or Wu, which has to be has to be mentioned. He's playing a challenger for the first time since Zha, let me read the name Zhang Zhang Jiagang, 2019, where he lost to Guncalo Oliveira. Uh, the who is obviously the former US Open boys singles champion 2017, I believe, who had like almost three years of injury breaks, uh, won a 15k recently, but still, even after today, uh, you know, we don't really know what to expect from him because he just defeated Kamuyan uh, Sultanov. So, uh, obviously, playing Zhiren Zhang tomorrow or Kumun Sultanov, what is what his name is, I can't remember, anyhow. Uh, he's playing Jin and Zhang in the final qualifying round. So that's a big step up. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not sure who is getting out of that, even though that would be a very cool story to see. Uh, I don't like going for Jordan Thompson on clay. Uh, he had some de- very decent results, but I, I don't know. I just don't trust him, especially in the you know, from the mental sense. And it's just really hard to go for anything here, really. Vit Priva playing Dmitar Kuzmanov is a terrible draw for the seed. And I'm I'm definitely like Kuzmanov is on my radar in terms of the peaks here. Vukic hasn't had a good start to his clay season like at all. Uh I'm very excited to watch the the, the, the Croatian juniors again, but I'm also not really thinking of them in no, Prismic and Polichak, and but I'm also not really thinking of them in terms of like the winner picks. So I think I'm gonna have to go with Christopher O'Connell. I'm not overly confident in that pick but he he did win split recently and he did it in very dominant fashion i'm not sure if he played since then i don't think so no. uh, so yeah so he should be well rested up and that's that's like my logic behind it yeah o'connell is also the pick that i wrote down uh initially <laughs> I, I hate I'm having, I'm hating this right now. Uh, on the on the elevatings, he's kicking everybody's ass in this in this draw. Like, yeah. The, the, on on this year, he's number sixty four. Next close is Thompson, one hundred and eighteen. On the elevatings overhaul, he's number seventy six. Thompson is one hundred thirteen. On uh, the clay elevatings, he's the best one. Uh, second one is like Kuznetsov and then Kopshiva. Um, I'm thinking of who else I can take here. Because I I really don't want to have three yeah. of the same as you. Oh God! You know what? You know what? I'm gonna go for a weird one here. I'm gonna go for Filip Horansky to take advantage of that Damir Jumhur uh, gap in that second section. Uh, Muller, Fikovic, Aydukovic, Latsko are the other known known guys, and there's three qualifiers or, or a lucky loser. Um, I think he's the most likely, the, the, the most likely semifinalist out of that section. It's a weird pick. You, you can't get on me for not having any, any weird picks anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I I do hate that you beat me to the punch in O'Connell here, and I really don't want to match up with you three times. Strategically, I think this is a shitty decision. <laughs> like, I think you should have just went for O'Connell. But I, I understand the sentiment. I've also done it in the past, that when, when we had the, the same picks, I wanted to change something up. Um, yeah, but this is a similar case as in Heilbronn, where the longer I look at it, yeah, O'Connell is definitely the strongest pick. Yeah, I mean, I all, all I can hope for is that the quarterfinal, Kopshiva Kuzmanov, whoever comes out of that one, is is, is going to take him out. 
Well, the qualifiers are pretty strong too, I guess. So. Yeah, the, 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 some of the qualifiers are interesting. We'll we'll see how the, yeah. the draw shakes out. Horansky, yeah, was was quite bad against Andre Martin in the final of the um, Extra Liga. Not a lot of belief in that pick, uh, but <laughs> here we go. Anyway, let's move on to Shimkent. If I can get this draw open, uh, where the top seed is Tennis Sandgren playing Emilio Nava. Very interesting match right off the bat. The winner playing Denis Istomin or qualifier. Also in that section is Kaichi Uchida playing Mikhail Torpegard. Uh, the winner facing Viktor Durasovic or Baby Djukaev. Then we have Alexander Shevchenko playing a qualifier uh, and then another two qualifiers. Uh, also in this section is Nicolas Alvarez uh, uh, Varona playing Alexander Metreveli, winner facing Ulysses Blanche or Ishai Oliel. Third section, Ilya Marchenko is playing Gabriel de Camps, uh, winner then facing Robin Hase or Ergi Kirkin. Also in the section, Yevgen Karlovsky plays Matteo Donati, winner facing Denis Yevsev or qualifier. Final section, Altuk Chalibila plays Dragos Nikolai Madaras, a winner facing Grigory Lomakin or Nicolas David Yonel. And Philippe Christian Giano plays a qualifier with the winner facing Antoine Bellier or uh, Yevgeny Tjurnev. Yes, who do you like here in, in Shimkent? Yeah, this is this is probably a weakest draw we have this week. And it's, it's going to be even weaker next week when there's a Shimkent 2 challenger. Uh, but uh, but here, yeah, no one really wanted to go to Kazakhstan, as it turns out. Anyhow, uh, in the qualies, there's a few ITF guys that were doing well recently, like Eric Van Schelboim, and specifically, I really want to see uh, Alibek Kachmazov. Like, this guy has won, like, I don't know, seven ITFs in the past year or something like this. Some of them were 15Ks, so it's not perhaps not that impressive, but uh, the, the 19, you know, 19 uh six itfs in the in the past year or so uh and two of them were 25k yeah so he's just been he's just been absolutely killing it on that tour uh gonna be a big favorite against Ivan Zhu uh to qualify uh but still uh i think they're the, the qualifiers probably aren't strong enough to, to win this there's also Antoine Bellier playing for the first time i think since his big uh, awakening right or, or he played one match uh, like uh, right after right against uh, Istomin but other than that I don't I don't think he yeah, oh, yeah he didn't compete since then so it's going to be quite exciting to see if his server volleying is also going to work in Shimkent I don't think it's a multitude but um yeah and, and it, there's just not really any favorites that speak out to me because Sandgren, yeah, the match against Nava, I don't, I really want to get into it. There's also like, I don't know, Chelik Bilek on clay, I don't trust him at all. So I think there's like one pick here that is probably a bit stupid, and I just criticized this guy, but I just don't really know where to go from, you know, from this. I'm, I, I think I'm gonna have to go for Alexander Shevchenko to have his maiden challenger title here. Let's go. For the fourth time, uh, yeah. Match yeah. Up, what I wrote down. <sighs> yeah. Um... <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about these tournaments this week, but every single thing has like one guy that seems really ahead of the puck. 
Yeah, uh, Shevchenko. His his he has like the third best uh, LO this year out of out of this group. Uh, Belier is the first one, obviously with with, with, with that run. That's hilarious, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the best LO ratings overall are for uh, Marchenko, Sanguin, and Hasse. With with Hasse also being the, uh, having the best clay one. Uh, but I just, for some reason, cannot see him winning this for the life of me. Uh, Robin Haas, yeah. I can't see him doing anything, really. Uh, Shevchenko is the guy I originally picked. I hate this. I hate that I'm going to have to either <laughs> go. Uh, yeah, Shevchenko should be the pick. Let, let me just have a look at Haas's recent, recent results. What's he playing recently? He hasn't won uh, recently. He lost two. Rodinov, Vatucin, Draper, beat Phils, beat Marchenko. Uh, okay, I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for Robin Hasse. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I mean his, his section. If you really look at it, Kirkin is in the tough opponent. Marchenko the camps. Eh. Probably gonna be that camps given Marchenko's clay um, yeah. expertise. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, anti expertise. Yeah, <laughs> open hatred. It's yeah, in... yeah, yeah. Let's go with it. I'm going for Robin Hasse. All right. So we've got just one left. Coquimbo in Brazil as well, or I'm not even sure actually. I actually don't know uh, where. Let me let me open this up. No, it's in Chile. Chile. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so Coquimbo, where the top seed is the one, the only Tomas Barrios Vera playing Roman Andres uh, Burruchaga. Winner plays Nicolas Villalon, uh, our qualifier. Then we have Nicolas Mejia p- playing Enan Casanova with the winner facing Facundo Diaz Acosta or Gilbert Clier Jr. Then we have Genaro Alberto Olivieri playing a qualifier and then another qualifier or Francisco Comesana. Interesting matchup here in the first round. Gonzalo Lama plays Gonzalo Villanueva, two guys who did pretty, pretty well last week, matching up in the first round, with the winner playing Cristian Rodriguez or Paul Martin Tifon. Uh, third section with Andrea Coyarini playing Matias Zucas, uh, winner facing Adrian Andreev or Alejo Lorenzo Lingua Lavallén. Then we have Orlando Luz playing Juan Bautista Torres, also another interesting one, with the winner facing Roberto Quiroz. Fourth section, we have Santiago Rodriguez Taverna playing Matias Franco Descote, winner facing Nicolas Alvarez or a qualifier. And then we have Daniel Dutra da Silva playing Gustavo Haide, um, with the winner facing Petro Boscardin Diaz or another qualifier. Who do you like here in, in Coquimbo? Uh, there, you know, it, it is a there is a few of these guys that you could go for here, I think. Barrios Vera is obviously again a pretty strong pick, but do I trust him to go back to back finals, especially with the sort of weird motivation thing that he had against Dominguez? I don't know. Olivieri, Mejia. Did Olivieri play this week? Because I, I can't remember him at all. I, I, I don't think so, right? Yeah, but he was pretty strong the last time last time we saw him. He had this uh this good win against uh, Rodriguez Taverna against Bagnis. Yeah. I'm 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 thinking of a couple of these guys that did, didn't play this week but did very well in Buenos Aires. I suppose they didn't want to play on green clay in uh, Salvador de Bahia. But this is like this is we're back to the to the regular one here. Um 
in terms of the qualities, there wasn't like any anyone of, of note. I think Wilson Leite, maybe he has a good run again. Also, Murkardelian seems to have shortened his name officially. Um, yeah, there you go. That's very cool for the people that have to, you know, that had to speak. Uh, you know, just say his four, all his four uh, components. Um, although who actually says Murkardelian's name other than us? I don't know. <laughs> it's true i mean it's not even a joke uh so i i am uh sort of going back and forth between two picks and maybe you want to go first here since you know then you're not in the position that uh if i pick the same as you uh, uh then, then you yeah. if you like changing because the last time last two times you changed and probably changed into a worse pick so i'm sort of feeling like i should uh you know i should let you go first in order to change something up I, I do appreciate that it's probably too little too late since this pick is the one that I feel the weakest about from all of the, all of the other picks. Possible, um, yeah. I decided to go for Rodriguez Taverna. Um, I was sort of weighing up him and, and Olivieri. I think what it was ultimately, I just liked Rodriguez Taverna, Rodriguez Taverna's uh, draw a little bit more. Uh, but I think it's it's either one of those guys uh, that are the main favorites. Actually, do you know who has the best ELO rating uh, in this year so far out of this? This year, out of these guys? Um, yeah. Okay. So I suppose it's not Barrios. No, no. So He's my, not even top five, actually. My guess would be between... This could be this, this could be very stupid because I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But I maybe... Um, how many times did Diaz Acosta play recently? Because I actually didn't even see him in the draw. I think he was missing for a while, right? So I think it could be him. Uh, I, I think if I tried, I would probably go for him or, I don't know, maybe nah, Mejia. No, that's stupid. I don't know. I think I'd go, if I had to guess, I'd go for Diaz Acosta. But I don't know if it's right. It's it's actually Adrian Andreo has the best elevator. Oh, really? So far, which is pretty insane. The the second one is Coyarini and then then Olivieri. Coyarini uh, and Olivieri, I was thinking of, but but Andreev, no, I wouldn't have guessed that he has the highest elo yeah, rating. I mean, no. he, he he sort of had two bigger runs, semifinals in in Forli as a qualifier, and then quarterfinals in Sarasota also, also as a qualifier. Got some wins there. I I, I think maybe maybe that's what got him so high, but definitely. Overrated in the ELO ratings. Yeah, for I think, it, uh, it, I mean, the, the ELO rating mostly depends on the ELO of your opponents, right? Yes. So, yeah. uh, with Kachin, it was like pretty clear that with Kachin, it was like pretty clear that uh, it was because of that that run included like three top 100 players uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that he beat, right? So, I think maybe Andreev just got some quality wins, although I can't remember them, honestly. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the weird part that I can't really find the, the like a big win that he had, like Turnev, Furness. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, Tunglin, Wu, or that, that, that's like his biggest wins that he, he has yeah. had. Yeah, Wu, Gunas Varan, like that's probably yeah. the top. Yeah, <laughs> Fields, I mean, Fields is, I don't know where he is in the ELO ratings, but I mean, Fairness, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, actually, it makes no sense. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I'm 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 locking down Rodriguez Taverna here for for cooking book. Okay, so you've got Rodriguez Taverna. I thought of him initially, but then the guys I was going back and forth again with were Olivieri and Coyarini. 
And I think I'm going to go with Coyarini. This is a little optimistic because he's rarely been able to maintain his form over like you know a streak of tournaments or something. But let me put it this way, that if he plays the same way he did in Buenos Aires, if the forehand is so good again, then I think he can win this draw like without much issues even. Perhaps mm. it's a bit too optimistic, but we shall see. Yeah, so it, it was too little too late because this is clearly the tournament where there's like... No, the confidence in our picks is is at its lowest point, but who knows? Maybe this is actually the one that will grant one of us the point. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what we're going to finish at. Uh, the segment about Aix-en-Provence has already been uh, inserted earlier, probably. Um, yeah. So uh, we, I think we can just uh, say stop here. Uh, we're going to see you guys next week to talk about Coquimbo, Shimkent, Zagreb, Helbron and Bordeaux. Uh, yeah, look at me remembering all of them. Uh, remember to watch the ATP Charger Tour this week, not only Bordeaux and Helbron. Remember to catch Coquimbo and Shimkent too. I know the, the draws might not seem like that at first, but there's going to be a lot of fun to be had there too. Um, yeah, and see you in a week. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hope all of you enjoyed another ATP Challenger-centric edition of the show from Cracked Rackets contributors Damian Kust and Jakob Bobro. I know I say this every week. I mean it each time I do. You will not find two people more passionate nor more knowledgeable about everything happening at the Challenger level than Damian and Jakob. Of course, be on the lookout every Monday here on the Great Shot podcast feed as they continue to provide all of you with the updates you deserve as tennis fans about everything happening at the Challenger level. Of course, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, Busy week for us here at Cracked Rackets. We've got hopefully at least 32 editions of the Cracked Interviews podcast coming to you all as I try to speak with every remaining NCAA head coach, whether it be a men's or a women's coach, prior to this weekend's Division I round of 16. Of course, we're covering all of the action as it unfolds at the ATP and WTA level as well. Very quickly, we transition from Madrid straight into Rome. And look, the action only going to get more and more intense as the year's second Grand Slam the 2022 French Open inches closer and closer to its beginning. For all of that content, head on over to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. Like, rate, sub- I'm at A.L. Gruskin now, excuse me. Like, rate, subscribe, review, of course, to that Great Shot Pod, though, to the Mini Break Podcast, to our Cracked Interviews Podcast YouTube channel to ensure that you don't miss out on any of our content. And of course, why is that content possible? Because of the immense efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out, again, with all of that said, busy week here at Crack Rackets. You don't want to miss out on 
any of our content just at backcrackrackets.com as your homepage right now. Of course, a shout out as well to our friends at Turna for their support of our efforts. Email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turna family today with all of that said. For our Crack Rackets contributors, Damien Kust and Jakob Babaro, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner. From all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.